0: As we've been studying these churches, um, these letters that Jesus gave to the Apostle John to have delivered to these seven churches that are in Asia Minor, okay, Revelation chapter two and three, okay. And again, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, right? So even in these letters, as we consider the Book of Revelation, it's about Jesus, okay. And that's one of those things I've been thinking as we've been studying through these books. If Jesus would write a Letter to freedom fellowship, what it would say, and I'm gonna be like, okay, well, he could address this, and maybe that's going on. And I know there's some things we don't see that he needs to make us aware of, but ultimately, have you been guys catching every letter? It's about Jesus, it's exalting him, he is the key. So, if the Lord did write a letter specifically to us, guess what? It's still gonna be about Jesus. Okay, and that's one thing I love. He who has an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit says to the church is. And we need to look as we consider, even this morning, as we're halfway through now, we begin chapter three here. It's about Jesus. So let's take a read. And to the angel, the church in Sardis writes, These things says he who was or who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know the hour I will come upon you. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed with white garments, and I will not blot his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So the church in Sardis, guys, uh, in particular here, um, it has a condition to really mirror what was going on, this letter of what was going on in the city of Sardis at the time. Sardis was once very vibrant. It was alive, confident. It was full of life in the city. It had a very glorious past. In a reputation among the people there. But that time had passed. It was in decline. Other cities had usurped its place in the trade and uh, strategic post or import that was taking place there. It had suffered key military defeats, if you read their history, which really precipitated in their fall as a whole, as a city. But it was trying to cling to their former glory. The good old days. We never do that, right? But they were doing that, right? I wish things were like they were in the past. Living off the persona of something that was formed long ago. So, it had a name. It had a reputation of being alive, but it was dead. That's what Jesus sees. That is what he is proclaiming. So this... Jesus says, was the same situation with the church in the city there. It had a name, it had a reputation for being alive, but it was dead. So why or how does a church die? I'm glad you guys asked, because that's really what I want to consider with you guys this morning. Have you ever referred to a church as being dead? Have you done that? Oh, that's a dead church. Okay. Why do we do that? Why do we say that? Well, the reasons, of course, are not the same for the city of Sardis. You see, those who had, uh, were there, it had to do a lot with their trade, okay, uh, their strategy, there were military exploits that were going on. That's the reason the city died. But the church dies for one reason. One reason. And that reason, guys, it ceases to be about Jesus. I could stop here this morning. And we could chew on this. Because this is it. This is why a church dies. It ceases to be about Jesus. Specifically, radically, unwaveringly. Okay, it's all about him. When a church ceases to be about Jesus, then people can exist within a church without Jesus without spiritual life. Do you guys know there's atheists that have church? True thing. Check it out on Google because Google knows it all. You'll find churches out there of... What do they do? (laughs) Why do they get together? What's the point? They don't even believe in God. And then how many congregations do we have in our own backyard here that gather together and they have no absolutes when it comes to God. Anything goes. Any path will work. Whatever you believe is good for you. We're all going to get there one way or another. Wow! Come around anything. But if we don't, as the church, have Jesus, there's not going to be spiritual life. A church is dead because its members are dead. In other words, not born again. And I think when we say that's a dead church, that's probably what we're saying, aren't we? It's a gathering of people, it's a church, they have members, but they're dead spiritually. Because they don't trust the gospel, they don't believe the gospel. They're trusting and believing other things in which God has declared for salvation, for eternal life. So if Jesus stops being the main point, the people are compelled to come to him for life and salvation. Jesus said that church would often be this way. I want us to turn together to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, we'll take a look at verses 24 and 30 together. Many of you are familiar with this parable, this story that Jesus taught on the wheat and the tares. And we're going to pick it up in verse 24 of Matthew 13. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field, but when the men slept, the enemy came and sowed tares in the wheat. And they went his way. And when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servants said to him, Do you want us? to go and to gather them up? And he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at that time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares, bind them in bundles and burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. If you jump down a little farther, Jesus explains to us what this parable means. Look at verse 36. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and he went up into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the terrors of the field. And he answered and he said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. It's Jesus. It's his word. And the field is the world. And the good seed are the sons of the kingdom. But the tares are the son of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned into the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness." and will cast them into the furnace of fire. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has an ear, let him hear. Do we have ears to hear this morning, brothers and sisters? You see this parable of the tares and the wheat, Jesus is making it pretty clear of what the situation is here. Okay, It isn't a situation that's merely... Uh, Innocuous or passive, okay? There is an enemy. Did you guys catch that in this parable? A very real enemy. And it's merely that there were or there will be people present who are not born again, but also some who are plants or actually maybe agents of the enemy. Do you guys see what Jesus is warning us of here? Perhaps unwittingly. But they are enemies. And the fearful thing is that the two, sometimes, it's hard to distinguish between the two, right? Look at verse 29. Until what? Verse 29, the fruit comes. They look identical, almost. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, it tells us to test yourselves that you are in the faith. Examine yourself. Because let me tell you what, it's easy to play church, isn't it? I know a lot of people that go through the motions as a Christian. So at this church in Sardis, there was a lack of self-awareness. They didn't know where they stood before the Lord, what was really going on. They did not know that they were dead. It's easy uh, to do when Jesus is not the main point and the one to be worshipped and the one to be obeyed. Let's look at Matthew 7 real quick, since we're right here. Just a chapter, a few chapters before. Chapter 7. Look what Jesus says here in verse 13 and On. He says here, Enter by the narrow gate, Matthew 7, 13, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, to hell, guys. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorny bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor a bad tree good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. But we shouldn't ever judge anybody, right? Wait a minute. I think Jesus is telling us, check people out. okay? Especially those who claim to be Christians. Those who teach. You'll know them by their fruit. Check out their fruit. And then he goes on to say in verse 21, And not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Therefore... Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on the house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat on the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. So there are some who are playing church. And playing church, guys, again, they look the part, like the tares. And again, the difference is true obedience. Guys, check verse 21 there. He who does the will of my Father in heaven. And then verse 24, everyone who hears these words of mine and actually does them or acts upon them. Yeah, we come to Christ by what? Believing. But we're told to what? Repent. Believe. We need to turn to him. Even demons believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, Creator. Okay, They get it, but they ain't obeying. Okay, They aren't trusting in him. That's what we do, guys. We trust. We obey. So, looking for signs. um, Let's consider just a few of them, okay? Uh, If we're looking for signs in our life, one I think, and I think the foremost one, are we in a place personally where we're wanting to make Jesus king in our lives? I think that's the number one thing. Would you guys agree with me? If you're a true Christian, that's number one, because forever we did what? We were being the king. We were the one on the throne calling the shots. But when we come to faith in Christ, we accept him as what? Lord and Savior. He is now master. He is now king. You're on the throne. You're calling the shots. And everything we do now as a believer is in light of that. What do you want, Lord? What are you asking you're the one who is sovereign, and in control. My life is yours. I am yours. What do you want? And then also, I think there should be a longing in our lives to glorify Jesus. Do we long to glorify him? Or is it about how great we are? I'm a Christian now. Look how awesome I am and all the good things. Look at it. Glorify me. No, no, no. There should be a longing in our hearts to glorify him. And that's why we do the things we do. This will glorify you as I serve and love others. This will honor you and glorify your name. Is there a desire within you to obey Jesus? Or do you look at the scriptures, oh, I can do that one, but this one, whoo, that's asking a lot, Lord. I don't know if I'm ready or in a season to start doing those things. No, we should have that desire in our heart we should have a prayer before the Lord. Search my heart, God. If there's any wicked way, show me, because I want to get right. I don't want anything that's going to come in the way of my relationship with you, of glorifying you, of obeying you. You're my king. You're my savior. You're it. And then there should that be that pursuing of holiness like Jesus. Didn't God say, be holy as I am Holy. Was that a suggestion he gave to us, or was that a commandment in his word? If he's really God, we should have that desire. We should be convicted of our sin, your sin. You should be convicted. When you're in sin, do you feel bad? Do you know it's wrong? Is the Holy Spirit bringing son, daughter? This is not right. This is not good. This is sin. Mourning over sin, true brokenness, repenting over sin. Some of us like our sin. We don't want to repent. Okay, it's fun. It's fun for a season. I like this thing. You know, God calls us to repent. And then growing evidentially in Christ's likeness. Are you more like Jesus today than you were a month ago? A year ago? We should be. Right? Isn't he doing a work in us? Hasn't he promised to sanctify us? Yeah glory to glory guys so at some point the church began to drift here in sardis from a christ centeredness and they left their first love they pursued other loves and or lesser things pursued other whatever causes okay i see churches do this all the time okay Well, of course we love Jesus. Of course we're about the gospel here. And can you believe this is going on? We're the church. We should do something about that. And they begin to drift from Jesus and they become about the cause. Well, wait a minute. I thought we were about Jesus. Are causes wrong? No. Are they wrong for church? I would say when it gets our eyes off of Jesus, absolutely yes. Yes. Personalities can shift a church. We have a brother or sister that comes in that are very passionate or very gifted or they're all about this thing of the Lord and it can get our eyes off of him and onto that thing. Events. I see churches so often so driven. This is our one thing we do every year. We plan all year long. All year long we're having meetings. We're raising money. We're praying into this event because this is the thing. Can you guys see how that would get our eyes off of Jesus? I see it in giftings. I see it in politics. That's a huge one. We're called to follow Christ. And we get so hung up. It's all about this party. This is the answer. This is what we need. No, our eyes need to be on Jesus. He is what we need and we think that some man, some party is going to solve the problems, great, we can keep our comforts, guys. We're still going to hell in a handbasket. People need the gospel. They need eternal life. Who cares if we're comfortable and everything's good? And what if we actually did stop killing babies, which is ridiculous? Great, people are still going to hell without Jesus Christ, guys. So, we can have whatever. Ethics, morals, religious forums, you know, mere rituals that we find so often in the church, all these things lead away from Jesus Christ. We need to keep it simply about him. And this is what the church in Sardis did. They drifted away somehow. And we need to fight for that, guys. And if you ever see us begin to drift as a fellowship, you get on your knees. You start praying to our Father to come and spank our butts. To correct us that we would get back. You sit down with the elders and say, Brothers, I see this going on. Do you discern this also? What do you think? Can we pray through this? Because I've seen it happen so many times, guys. So many churches have started off so well. We just want people to know Jesus. We're willing to go out and to share the gospel. And God begins to add to the church and it starts to get big. Now we need a bigger building. We need to do more. We have to have all these programs to meet the needs of all the people. And pretty soon they have meetings. They don't even pray together anymore because it's all about the business meeting. How are we going to keep the money coming in to keep paying the mortgage on this huge building? How are we going to keep people coming and giving their money so we can continue to sustain what we're doing here instead of Jesus and what he is doing? We need to be so careful, guys keeping our eyes upon him. And all these things, guys, some of them are good things, but none of them are the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. It's Jesus. We've had people leave the church because we didn't want to do this or that. And I'm okay with that. Because we really, at Freedom Here, want to safeguard what we do. It's going to be about Jesus. So people were able to enter in and be in without Jesus. That's what's going on in this church. Um, it tells them they're dead. I want, I want to consider death with you guys for a second. The dead church, death within the church. Um, they didn't even know it. Did you guys catch that? They didn't even know. But Jesus did. So, the church does not die only by sinning, but a church that is dead goes on sinning. I often wonder I mean, we have a church up the street, down the street. I'll be honest, I drive by and I pray a lot because I think that's a dead church. They are so stuck in their traditions and their rituals, they've twisted scriptures, they've ignored the gospel. Lord, how long can this keep going on? How do their leaders, their priests, their bishops, how do they not read your word and get convicted about what they're doing? When you're dead, you can't see, guys. Jesus talks about the blind leading the blind. That's why we're called to study to show ourselves approved. We need to be Bereans. What does God say? Because it's in Him, it's in Jesus, we find life, Him alone. It's not in any other Messiah, Savior, co-redemptress, those things don't work. Praying to the dead don't work, it's dead. Christ is alive, He is risen from the dead, He is our Lord, our eyes are to be upon Him. So sinning is always blinding. It always causes drifting. And that is part of why we repent, right? If the church could live in 1 John 1.9, confessing our sins to one another, man, God's going to forgive us. But is there a lot of confessing that goes on in the church? Well, no. (laughs) We're spiritually proud, We got it together. We're all good. I'm alive in Christ. Everything's great. How about I've been sinking? Life's been miserable. The enemy's been after me. The warfare is very real. I feel like I'm barely holding on. I'm falling in sin. I need help. I need to confess. I need to repent. You see, when the church is willfully sinning rather than confessing, people enter in without repenting. I don't want anyone ever to walk in these doors and think, hey, here's a body of Christians and they have it all together. Look at them. Every single one of them. Their families are great. Their marriages are great. They have it all together. They never sin. They never watch a rated R movie. They're so awesome. And I got to measure up to them. To be a part of that body. Oh boy. Let us never get to that place. Let us be honest and real with one another. Man, repent, confess, pray for one another. Be vulnerable that we can bear one another's burdens, as Galatians 6 tells us. Be real. Man, the church is full of hypocrites, as our brother said yesterday in our elders meeting. You know what? Absolutely, I'm one of them. We're all hypocrites. We need Jesus. We don't have it together. That's why we need him, and that's why our eyes are gonna stay upon him. So there are some who see themselves as being in the church, but they're not. Did you guys catch that in Matthew 7, Lord, Lord? Many are gonna say it, and Jesus is gonna say them, but I never knew you. But we did all this stuff in your name. All this cool stuff churches do. We did it too. But I never knew you. So there are some who are alive, perhaps, but they're, they're perpetuating death, let's say. So let's move on to the inward life, the moving towards life. We see it in verses 2 and 3 here in Revelation 3. Be watchful, he's telling the church there in Sardis and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you've received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know the hour that I will come upon you. So he's telling them to wake up. Okay? And out of these short few verses to the church in Sardis, this was my favorite Greek word. Because it is literally an awakening, a continually waking up. It's not, well, I woke up to the reality I needed a Savior. And I believed in Jesus and I'm saved. I'm so glad that he saved me back then. That I have eternal life and I'm going to heaven. No. He's saying to the church, this is a continual awakening. Well, Pastor, you're being a little passionate this morning. Well, I'm passionate about the church waking up because we're sleeping. We talk about the silent voice that we have in this nation that actually holds to morals and rights, but we never speak up. How's the world gotten so stupid, illogical? It's because the church is not awake. If we were awake, we'd have people pounding on our doors. Man, you guys have the answers. You guys know what's up. We have questions. And we know you have answers. Speak to us. But how does the world look at the church? They laugh. You guys are a joke. Man, there is no God. Isn't that what our government is pushing upon our kids in our school? Man, there's not even a reason for us to have anything to do with any type of faith or religion. Let me tell you what. Jesus is the only thing that matters in this life, guys. And Satan's got us exactly where he wants us. But what would happen if the church would wake up? Man, we're praying to call for, or pray for our, our, those who are in rule, those who have authority over us. That's great. I know many of you guys do pray, you know. But what if we actually engaged, really prayed? Do you guys pray for our public school boards? The stuff that they're pushing upon our children, it's crazy. As you've prayed, have you ever prayed, Lord, would you want me to be on the school board? Would you want me to be a spokesperson on your behalf? To speak truth? Oh, that's not for us as believers. I read in the scriptures, guys, we're not to be of the world, but we're in the world. And as we're in the world, guys, we're preserving agent. Okay, and Unless we're speaking the truth, how are people going to be set free? They need to hear it, right? You ain't going to know it unless you hear it. We have that truth. We get to share, guys. So stand in the truth. Speak the truth. Moving towards life is the key here. So we need to wake up in the church. We need to wake up. I think about 1 Peter 5.8. Jot it down. You guys are all familiar. Our enemy, he's like a what? roaring lion. See, I knew you guys knew that scripture. Seeking whom he may devour. Wow. How easy is prey when they're just sleeping? Eh, I'm lazy. I'm tired. I'm going to take a nap. Man, easy. The church needs to wake up. We need to be going for it together, guys. You guys ever watch those nature shows? Isn't it hard for the lion pack to get a, you know, get a prey when they're actually together, moving, doing their thing. Yeah, who do they get? The stragglers, the ones that are left behind. Okay? So we need to wake up. And then we also got to keep it, okay? The point here to obey. It's one thing to hear. Some of you guys are totally agreeing this morning. This is right. Okay? This is testifying with my spirit. This is right on with what Jesus is speaking. But actually to act on it, to obey it, that's something totally different, guys. We can be a James one twenty two. we hear, but we don't ever do the word. We need to be doers of it, not just hearers. And then I love that he tells us here to strengthen. Strengthen what remains. In other words, finish well. Do you guys have a desire of finishing well? I hope so. And I want to encourage you. Man, if you're just saved, just in the Lord, or if you've been the Lord a few years, or if you're a seasoned saint and you've been walking for a long time and you're becoming weary, don't grow weary in doing good. Finish well. Fight the good fight of faith to the day you die. I hung out with some pastors this last week at a prayer summit. Some of them are getting to that point. I got one brother I've known for over a decade. He's retiring this June. And he's so excited. I'm retiring from the pastorate. And I'm stoked about what God has for me next and how he's going to use me. Man, let us be like that. Man, whatever you have, Lord. If he opens up retirement, more time for you, great. How can you better be about God's business in his service? So, we want to finish well. You can jot down Hebrews chapter 12, looking on to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The first three verses there, memorize it. It's good. And then he also says here to repent, Okay, we need to get right. Are you guys okay with repenting? Are you okay with it? I hope so. Because that, that pleases God. And it's good for us. Times of refreshing come when we repent from being in the presence of the Lord. We want to turn to Him. And then remember. I want you guys to circle that in your Bibles here. Remember. Remember. I've found the easiest way to remember is to preach the gospel to myself. You guys know I love preaching the gospel, but you know I need it every day. It's not just a one-time thing years ago. It's needed every day of our lives. We need to rehearse the gospel. Preach it to ourselves. So I think about this, guys, to awaken Flew home last week from Israel. I'm a little older now, and I've never struggled with jet, jet lag like I've had <laughs> this last week. I thought it was good, and then it just hit me. It was a wave. I am wiped out. What is going on? And as we uh, <laughs> just had a, a mountaintop experience, Israel i come home for a day got to be with you guys celebrated shalom's birthday last sunday then i'm off to a four-day prayer summit with other pastors talk about another spiritual high and i can tell you guys the last couple weeks have been so hard warfare is so real even though i'm having these mountaintop experiences i feel the real very real enemy just coming at me i'm feeling defeated Condemnation. You guys ever go through seasons where Satan's after you and you just feel condemned and everything like I should be doing more. I know better. Why is this junk in my heart? Where are these thoughts coming from? God, things are so well right now. I'm so blessed right now. And this is just overwhelming stuff. I don't understand why this is happening. But warfare is real, guys. Satan wants to keep us down. He wants us to feel defeated. He condemns us. But we know Romans chapter 8, verse 1, there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And that's why remembering the gospel is so important. Because I'm in a place, man, God, you've given so much. I should be doing more. I'm feeling lazy. I feel like I'm not doing anything, stepping out in anything. Remember the gospel, what He has done, that we are free. And I think it's even good to remember the things that we have done. I don't know if you guys are like me. I'm always looking at what's not done, what should be getting done. It's very easy to forget the things that God has done in our lives and done with us and through us. But again, it always comes back to Jesus because He is our hope. And that's why remembering preaching the gospel because we're going to go through it in this life, okay? We have an adversary that's very real, okay? An enemy that's stalking around like a lion. He wants to devour us. And even when we feel unworthy, we have to stand in the truth of the gospel because we are worthy because of his blood. Do you guys understand that? Isn't that the essence of the Gospel? He laid down His life. He shed His blood for the remission of our sins, so we could be forgiven. I think about that night when the Passover angel was going to come and kill all the firstborn sons. Do you guys remember when they had to apply the blood of the lamb upon the doorposts? You remember that? The angel didn't stop by and look inside and check out, Hey, is everybody worthy in there? Or unworthy, should I go get some of you? The angel never did that, did he? No. If the blood was applied, guess what? It doesn't matter if you're worthy or unworthy. The blood is applied, and because of that, you are worthy. That's the gospel, guys. Have you applied the blood of Jesus Christ personally? That is all that matters, and that's why God here is reminding the church. He who has ears to hear, remember. We need to remember the gospel. Yes, preach the gospel to others. Brother and sister, preach it to yourself daily. Please. There is no condemnation in Christ, He has set us free. That is the gospel. So, all right, I got to share with you. Turn to Jeremiah 23. Jeremiah 23. We're going to camp on this reality just for a moment. And I'm sharing this. This is a passage of scripture that I shared with our friend Murad uh, that we met over in Israel last week. He's a Muslim. And uh, we've been having some uh, messaging back and forth. And I shared this passage of scripture with him the other day. Look at verse 5 here in Jeremiah 23 it says behold the days are coming says the lord i will raise to david a branch of righteousness a king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth in his days judah will be saved and israel will dwell safely that's one of the things he's having a hard time with why all these wars why all this fighting here okay over the Holy Land. What's going on? And then it goes on to say, now this is His name, God's name by which He will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Isn't that cool? It's not your righteousness that's going to get you in. Isn't the gospel all about His righteousness? And because of His righteousness, we are made righteous. Turn to the last verse of Second Corinthians 5 with me quick. Or you can just listen. It says here, the last verse, which is 21 of 2 Corinthians 5, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become what, guys? The righteousness righteousness of God. Think about that. It is him. Jesus took our junk. (laughs) Okay, He took that sin upon himself. He took our life. And we get his. His righteousness was given, imputed to us. That makes me think of 1 John 2. Let's turn there real quick. We could do this all morning. This will be the last one. (laughs) 1 John. But are you guys getting the point? This is what we need to remember. It's so easy for us as Christians. We know the truth. And we just got to keep marching on, no matter how hard, no matter how steep the hill may be. This is what we keep doing. No, we need to remember these truths Because the truth sets us free. The first couple of verses of 1 John chapter 2 says, And my little children, these things I write to you, that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, I've sinned, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is our propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the whole world. Man, we have Jesus Christ the righteous. You guys understand that? He is our advocate, our propitiation. He paid it all. Okay, What the Father required was found in him. And aren't you guys glad that when you are in Christ, when you put your faith in him, you are now in Christ? Righteousness, guys. We're set free. It has nothing to do with what we do. It's all about what he has done. That is the gospel. And it's because of the gospel, guys, we continue to trust and obey and glorify and honor him, exalt him to live for him. Now, let's look at the promise in verse 5. Whoops, Sorry, I've been missing a few. Um, Look at verse 3 with me here. This is the threat. Uh, Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know the hour in which I will come. So there was a living remnant, guys, um, there. Look at verse 4. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy, guys. And again, it's because of Jesus, right? He is our righteousness. Now check out the promise in verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white. Okay, this is the promise. Okay, white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So, check this out with me. He over- overcomes, how do we overcome, guys? It's in Christ, isn't it? Right? Am I rightly dividing the word? It's in Jesus, it's sticking with him to the end. Don't ever let go. You put your trust in him, right? Your faith, I'm believing on you, God, all the way, okay? Don't ever let go. Stick with Jesus. And it talks about these white garments. Okay, purity and celebration. Okay, spoken of there. In the book of life, or the Lamb's book here, this is a promise. It's not a threat. We could read this as a threat. No, read it as a promise. Man, our names are there. Okay, he's promised us life eternally. okay. That is a promise. And that's why we stick with Jesus. That's what we believe. That's our confession. And when it talks about confession here, it's that confirmation of salvation. That's what we're confessing. Do you believe that Jesus is the only way? I believe it. Why? It's because of what God said. I don't care what any denomination, any man, woman says. Jesus says that he is the way. Period. Do you believe him? If not, you're calling him a liar, and that would suck to stand before your maker one day. I see now you were telling the truth. Too late, right? Anyways, bow the knee now. So the call, the call goes out, guys. Um, I think of Matthew 10 here. It says, therefore, anyone who confesses me before men, I will confess before him, before my Father who is in heaven. I think that is so cool. So it may refer to them not being ready for his return or may refer to the city of Sardis' history of being uh, defeated twice through foolish, non viligent self-reliance really was probably the root cause to their fall. But the meaning, Jesus will shut the church down in verse 5. He will do that. So it is an act of judgment and an act of mercy death begets death in the church. Would you guys agree? Death begets death. Like people don't even know they're dead. But he's given us life, guys. And life abundantly. As your pastor, that's what I pray for all of you. That we would walk in that abundant life. That we would live that abundant life. Because Satan wants to steal it. He wants to rip that off. But we've been given so much in Christ. We have such a hope. man, Even if they kill the body, guys, guess what? That's okay. What awaits us? Glory. Okay? So if we consider verse 6, He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So do you hear this? A wake-up call and an invitation for you and I this morning from this letter to this church in Sardis. Some of you are not dead but you're on the trajectory of death. Okay, I'd encourage you to go back and read the letter that Jesus wrote to the Ephesians in Revelation 2. So fooling with things of death, not living fully in Christ, or resting on your past, okay, this is what God did. I used to be a part of church and I would used to be studying the scriptures and I used to partake in prayer gatherings. I, I'm good. I, I got saved. No, don't live in the past. We live in the present. We live in the future. What is God calling us to? Asking us to? Unguarded walls, inviting the attack of the enemy. 1 Peter 5.8 again. Okay, We need to be awake. Be aware. Jesus started by saying he had the seven spirits of God, the Holy Spirit. How important is that to you and I? Do you hear what the Lord says? Look at uh, this with me. John 6, verse 63. This is the last scripture I want to consider with you guys this morning. The Spirit gives life, and the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Aren't you guys thankful for these letters? This isn't to come down. I'm finding life in these letters. Some of us might be feel like we're getting pretty beat up. These are pretty harsh. And if you're receiving it that way, receive it in love because your Heavenly Father loves you enough to speak the truth. Okay, But I'm hoping that we're all being encouraged and edified and built up. And yes, Lord, you're right. Your ways are good. I need this word. I need to hear this. So we saved communion to the end this morning because it's a great opportunity for you and I to remember and to examine. I want to share with you guys, often the, the elders will share with you guys from First Corinthians chapter 11, and that's where the Apostle Paul received instructions on communion and how the institution of the Last Supper would look. But right after he shares a partaking of the bread, in the cup, okay, and you do this until uh, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right after that, he says this, and listen carefully. This is in 1 Corinthians eleven, twenty-seven. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup and this morning we're going to do things a little differently in light of that i'm going to have the guys in a moment uh, pass out the elements for us but i want you guys to have some time where you're just still before the lord okay if you're not in christ if you're not born again if you haven't put your faith in him don't partake okay If you're a believer, you're not part of our church, that's fine. Partake with us. You're a part of the body of Christ, okay? Um, Partake. But what I want you guys to do this morning is to examine yourselves. Really go before the Lord. Ask Him, where am I at? How am I doing? Where are things I need to repent of? Where are things I need to keep clinging to? You know, where are some things maybe I don't even see that need to change in my life. Be honest with him. And then we're not going to partake together like we usually do. I'm just going to leave it for you guys to do one-on-one with the Lord as you pray. I'm going to ask the elders to come up here. If any of you guys feel like you need to confess or just need prayer for anything, we'll be up here to pray with you guys. So that's how we're going to close service. And when you guys are done, You're more than welcome to hang out for potluck. We're going to be doing that downstairs. We'd love for all you guys to hang out for that. So that's how we're going to conclude service. So if you guys could start passing out the elements, that would be great. And as they begin, I'm just going to pray for us. Father, thank you so much for your word here today. We're thankful that you are on the throne. We thank you that you are the King of Kings. We thank you that your word is right, that it is spirit and it's full of life. Thank you so much, Lord, that you love us enough to speak truth into our lives. And I do pray as we take time to conclude our service by partaking of the the bread and the cup that we would examine ourselves well. Father, make sure that we're in the faith and remembering, Lord, it's your righteousness that you have done it all. It's because of your blood we are worthy and we thank you for that. It's in your name we pray. Amen? Amen.